listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. This is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. Sitting beside me is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. This is a question and answer episode where we will respond to listener-submitted emails. I will read the questions, and Eric will try to answer them. Not only emails, but calls. Oh. Yes, we have quite a few. We have so many that we have so much to do. I think we should just go jump right into it. Okay, let's do it. No more stalling. Here we go. Call number one. Oh, hi, Eric. It's Scott from Calgary calling. Uh, big fan of the podcast. Been listening for quite a while now. Hey, first a quick story, then a question. I bought a classic series Fender guitar uh, from the local guitar store. I had them order it in because they didn't have it on the shelf. Uh, got it home, knew the setup wasn't quite right, so I had my local tech uh, take a shot at the setup. Uh, when he gave it back to me, he said, hey, you know, I, I, I think I got it as good as I can get it for you. He says, uh, but, you know, this one's a little jangly. And he goes, but that's why we play him through an amp, right? Um, I got it home, and, yeah, I could tell something wasn't quite right. It didn't have that sustain. It didn't have that real warmth, you know, like a even though it's an electric guitar, an acoustic-style instrument should sound. So it was within warranty period, so I, I returned it. So the question for you is, is if you got one of those straps on your bench, you know, I'll call it jangly, which I know is a weird word, could you get it unjangly, or is it just some come out of the factory that way, and no matter how hard you try, you can only just do so much? So anyway, that's the question. Look forward to hearing the answer on the air. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks for calling, Scott. Uh, I don't. I'm confused because I don't know really what you mean, jangly. Um, it didn't have the sustain you were hoping for. Uh, I, it sounds to me like something was just wrong with it, and maybe your tech had a bad day and couldn't figure out what that thing was. I don't know. I'd have to see it. Uh, just calling it jangly. I don't know what was causing the. It's a weird sound. I don't know what was causing it. Right. So I, I really don't have any advice. I'd have to, you know, it's the kind of thing that I'd almost, almost have to see. I, I'm sorry. I don't, I just don't have much advice for you there. Sorry, but thanks for calling, Scott. Oh, hi, Eric and Melissa. Scott from Calgary. I got a second question. Oh, wait you. a minute. Only one call per show. Sorry. 
No, I'm just kidding. I was I'm, say. I've got a road-worn Mexican Fender Strat. Uh, it's relatively new, and you're probably familiar, but they put really light kind of wear relicking yeah. you know, on the guitar. Uh, with the neck in particular, I, I'd like to take the little wear marks and darken them a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking online, and I see a few people that have tried a solution, which is essentially a little bit of steel wool uh, aged in vinegar. You know, maybe over a few days, that turns into a solution that actually can be applied to wood, which oxidizes it, etc. Um, period. My question for you is, is that something you would endorse, or do you have a different format for darkening and, and giving the impression of some wear spots on a maple neck? So, mm-hmm. Thanks a lot, and uh, talk to you later. Bye. Yeah, absolutely. That is a question I can answer. So, uh, yes, soaking steel wool in vinegar is uh, a great trick. Uh, then you can just use the vinegar. Uh, it basically oxidizes the wood. Mm-hmm. It turns it kind of a gray color. Yep. Some people like that. Some people don't. If you want to go for more brown, you can dissolve baking soda in water and use that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So um, it's, it's just a, an alkaline solution you apply and it turns it brown? Yeah, it's more more of a brown color. It's more subtle than the uh than the vinegar and steel wool trick, but huh. the the trick is um I don't it's been a while since I've seen one of those. I don't know if the wear goes all the way down to the wood. That's the only way this is going to work. If the wear goes all the way down to the wood, sometimes what they do is they kind of have a like the 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 wear goes down to like a a uh a clear coat? Yeah, like an undercoat. Yeah. So if it if the wear only goes down to an undercoat, you can rub as much juice on there as you want, and it's not going to soak into the wood because the wood's not exposed. So right. this only works if the wood's exposed, and I think it is, but I just don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen one of those. So those are two good tricks. Just take it easy. Take it light and slow. Um, the trick on those is when you do that, it takes a while for the full effect to happen. So if you try it real quick and then say, well, I didn't really do anything, and then do it again, pretty soon you're going to have a really some really dark wear marks. Yeah. So just take it light and easy. You can even water down that vinegar solution uh, to so that it doesn't get too dark too fast. Yeah. You know, apply it and then really wait for it to dry. You know, give it a half hour, give it 20 minutes, let it dry before you see, you know, really see what it did before you put more on. The other thing you can do is is stain. Yep. You can just use, uh, I use Stuart McDonald's tobacco brown mixed with their amber, vintage amber stain. Uh, and I like the color that that gives me. Cool. You know, but that's a very concentrated stain, so you want to water that down a lot. Cool. Yeah. Did you know that uh, I use that vinegar solution too in leather work sometimes? I did know that. You you. Yeah. It turns leather black. It does. It, in the leather world, it's called vinegaroon, and it's pretty much the only way you can get a really nice uniform uniform black color. You should try the baking soda thing on. Uh. Well, leather. I was gonna say that's. If you use bleach on leather, it turns it brown. Really? Yeah. If uh, you use bleach on leather, it turns it darker. That's correct. 
Well, that's interesting, isn't, that isn't nuts? it? Well, and that's natural veg tan leather, obviously. I don't know about all types of leather. I haven't used it on everything, yeah. but yeah. Anyway, wow. fun fact. Are we recording? Let yes. me look at this thing. I hope so. It's been a day, man. It's been an, an unusual day. Uh, okay. Are we recording? Back to reality. We are recording. Oh, yeah. Good. Here's another call. Hey, Eric and Melissa. i got a couple questions for you this fortnight. Uh, first, I've dealt with what? a few early fenders where the neck had never been removed, and it was stuck in the neck pocket by the lacquer. Uh, I guess the lacquer from the body and the neck uh, just kind of being fused together that long. Um, a few of these were stuck so much where I felt like I could almost use the guitar without the four neck screws. So I'm curious if you have any tips for removing a stubborn neck without chipping or damaging the finish. Uh, my second question is a little bit more of a Hail Mary. Um, I have an original 1951 no-caster, and it has the original blend circuit where the tone control just blends in the neck pickup. Uh, I'm curious if you know of any voodoo magic that would allow me to use alternate tone circuits without modifying the unmolested solder joints. So I'm picturing like using some sort of jumper with alligator clips. I'm guessing that might act like a cold solder joint, but um, anyway, I, maybe you have some wisdom there. So thanks and uh, appreciate the podcast. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for calling. I've never tried that uh, with the with that original blend circuit. I would just I <laughs> I would just leave that alone, man. I you know which I can hear in your question that that's what you want to do anyway. But yeah, I, I don't know of any like alligator jumper clip tricks to make that behave like a modern tele wiring. Uh, I'd have to think about that. I've never tried that. Never thought about that. Yeah. Sorry. I don't really have much for you there. Uh, what was his first question? Stuck oh, on stuck on necks. If they're stuck on that bad, don't force it, man. I've, I have seen where, uh, I've seen where, you know, people have removed necks and chipped out paint and even, even chipped out the wood. So just, again, leave that alone too. I, you know, if they're, if they're that stuck on, then, <clears throat> you know, you can, you can tell when a neck is original. I mean, on an unmolested fender, you don't really need to take that neck off, especially if it's just stuck on. Uh, I've done it. What if you need to adjust the truss rod? Though? And, well, then the neck has to come off. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. I mean, I've done it. I've certainly done it. You, you, if you just keep, keep working it with, you know, take all the screws off and take the plate off and, uh, well, I'm. Would you Gently score it? Gently work it. No. 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 I would not score it. I've done that. I've popped plenty of necks off of fenders where it seems like the necks never been off. I worked at a vintage guitar shop and I had to authenticate and take pictures of these guitars. I've done it. I don't have any tricks. Uh, say a prayer to the god of your choice before you do it, because seriously, that you know, I know sometimes they're really stuck on. There's no trick to it. Gentle, just be gentle. Just be gentle yet persistent. There How's you go. That? Very good. How's that? Very Alrighty. good, sir. Yeah, let's let's have another call, shall we? Let's do it. Hey, how's it going, Eric? Good, and Melissa. Yep. I've got a question about finishing maple fingerboard necks. 
Um, you know, you got to spray lacquer over the frets, and with between uh, clear coat sessions, you got to sand it. I'm sitting here tediously sanding between the frets with a teeny little sanding block, hmm. and I don't like it. <laughs> Is there any better way, or do you just kind of have to do that and sand between the frets? And, like, how else do you do it, really? Um, maybe you've got some tips for us. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for calling. Um, if I, I don't sand in between coats. Wow. For one thing. If you're getting that much orange peel or if you need to if you have to sand that much then um you you might you might be having trouble with whatever however you're spraying. I don't know if you're using aerosols or a gun or what, but um you shouldn't have to I, I don't sand between coats on on well on necks or bodies, but uh yeah, maybe you might be putting the paint on too heavy and you're getting too much orange peel, that's a guess. I don't know. Uh, what I generally do is I'll paint the neck, you know, somewhere like six or ten coats of lacquer, right? And uh, I, I'm using a gun, and, uh, you you know, you want a heavy enough coat, but not so heavy that it orange peels, Right. Right. And then once I get it done, I will do some wet sanding. And uh, what I do is I'll I'll wrap a piece of sandpaper around my middle finger, and then run up and down the neck. And that that pretty much you know it. So you're sanding the frets and the paint. It's, oh wow! It's enough to just. And then I'll put it on a buffing wheel. Maybe you don't have a buffing wheel. Maybe oh, that's hmm. the problem. That's probably what's going on. He doesn't have a buffing wheel. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. I don't have to do much sanding. You just you put it on the buffing wheel. I've got a giant, you know, big, good pro buffing wheel, and I can buff out the finish real nice. So maybe that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you can use buffing compound just on a rag and get it, get it pretty glossy. Cool. Yeah. So that's, that's – try a lighter coat and don't sand between – between coats. That's my advice. There you go. Let's read some emails. All right. Letters. We get letters. We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hello, Eric and Melissa. As I'm sure you've heard, we all survived Snowmageddon 2019 over here in Seattle. I'm glad you guys had a good laugh. Many of us in Seattle (laughs) did as well. Here in Idaho, we call it March. It's ah, a funny joke. I have one question and one comment this time. Question. You mentioned you like having your guitars out and hanging on the wall where they can be seen and easily played, and I totally agree. The only one that worries me is my ES-335. It's heavy and it's hanging right where Gibsons with mahogany necks always seem to break. Should I be concerned about this or not? No, let's take this as they come here. Okay, let's uh, do it. Yeah. Think about the tension that the strings are exerting on the headstock. It's hundreds of pounds of tension. Uh-huh. That far exceeds the 8 to 10 pounds that <laughs> that you're putting on it by putting it in a in a right in a neck hanger on a wall. Yep. Not to worry. I I'd, I'd be much more concerned with it in a stand 
uh, because if it gets knocked over in a stand, then that's it. Yeah. It's really hard to knock one over when it's hanging on the wall. So especially Gibsons with fragile headstocks, those should go on the wall. Cool. Also, I started listening to the Truth About Tube Amps podcast at your direction, and I am enjoying it. I heard something funny on the first episode. It was a very technical tube amp question by one Eric Daw oh, about yeah. solid-state rectifiers. Hmm, I remember asking you what you look for in a tube amp on the fret files, and I think I remember your answer being, was it free or not? <laughs> I do realize this is a podcast about guitars, but what is your opinion about what to look for and what you gig with in an amplifier? You don't have to go too far off the reservation to answer this one. And that turned into a question, didn't it? Sorry. Thanks for the great podcast. You're doing the Lord's work. Lots of love from Seattle, Zach. Thank you, Zach. Here's what I look for in an amp. 35 to 40 watts, two 10-inch speakers, reverb and tremolo. That's about it. In Fenderland, it's called a Vibrolux, and that's what I use. I have two of them. That's my amp. That's the, to me, that's like the golden, the golden, uh, the Goldilocks amp. It's not, it's not too much. It's not too little. Like a Pro or a Twin is too much. A Deluxe ain't enough. The Vibrolux is perfect. There you go. That's what I look for. Hey, Eric and Melissa, I hope all is well. Best of luck, Melissa, on that Fender Strap Relic job. Hope it turns out awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get started on it oh, soon. Oh, yeah, you're making a replica of the early Fender Strap that came with Broadcasters, yes. right? Yes, I am. It's going to be very That's exciting. So cool. the, the customer actually sent me his own original strap so that i could make a copy as close as possible oh, that's rad i know it's so cool will it's, you make me one no uh i mean i'll, I'll pay for it <laughs> eric i have a six screw trem and a high e string it, and high e string isn't within the fingerboard it sits off to the side do i need to seal up the mounting holes move the bridge and redrew redrill new holes or do i shift the neck in the pocket to get the e string lined up Thanks for both of your efforts with the podcast. All the best, Jonathan and Victoria, Canada. Uh, yeah, just shift the neck pocket. Just shift the neck in the pocket. We've talked about this plenty on this podcast. Yeah, just loosen up. Here's what you do. You loosen up the screws just a little bit. Shift the neck where it needs to be. Then you can you can use a clamp if you want and clamp the neck tight where it needs to be and then tighten up the screws but yeah don't move the bridge no just shift the neck it's like a chiropractic adjustment on your guitar cool thank you jonathan hey guys i'm digging the show for sure good eric on a recent episode you described yourself as a traditionalist i am this reminded me of the old joke about it taking five traditionalists to screw in a light bulb one does the install and four to talk about how much better the old bulb was that's, you know, that's, that's so a great true. joke. It's too bad you slaughtered the punchline, but... <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but the funny thing about that is, Eric, every time he installs a new light bulb, he's like, man, I hate these new Ankin or new LED bulbs. They're the worst. The LED bulbs are pretty okay. It's those, it's those pigtail ones inside the yeah. bulb that... Yeah. Those are awful. Uh, and this reminded me of something I've been wondering about for some time now, shop lighting. Although I'm not a traditional guitar builder, I build guitars out of hemp. Cue Eric's eye what? roll. You build guitars out of hemp? 
Is it like a, a rope guitar? How is that even possible? Is it pulped hemp formed into a guitar I'll shape? I'll have to look that up. That's insane. I do use the old school light bulbs when it comes to working with color and finishes. Old timers at violin shop I once worked with explained to me that these newfangled fluorescents and LEDs play tricks on our eyes and that incandescent bulbs are best for finish work and color mixing. Honestly, I can't tell if it makes a difference or not. I hate to think I'm wasting precious watts and sending even more money to the bastards at the power company than Whoa, necessary. Yeah. Gee whiz. He's like me. Do you and or Mel, as I'm sure this pertains to her leather work too, have knowledge and thoughts and opinions and suggestions on which light bulbs are best? Yeah. Thank, thanks a ton, Jay in Vermont. Yes, I do have an opinion about this. The best bulb that I've found, uh, it's a really big one, and it's up in the sky, <laughs> and it's called the sun. Wow. So... Uh, you know, uh, when the windows in my shop, like I work right in front of a window and natural light is the best. Natural light is the best. If you can't, if you don't have any access to any natural light and it's not ever enough. So you want to obviously have lights in your shop. I'm not that much of a traditionalist. I'm not working in a friggin' cave. <laughs> but uh, they sell lights that have full spectrum. Mm hmm. And that's what I use. I use LED full-spectrum lights, and they're great. They were pretty expensive, but uh, they're great. I'm, I'm super happy with them. Yeah. The, the LEDs have come a long way, and those old curmudgeons that I probably would like a lot in that violin shop were probably right at the time, but the LED bulbs have really come a long way. Yeah. If you go to a hardware store, they usually have a display of all the different bulbs and all the light they emit. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, you know, like you can put your hand behind one and see what color it is. And so you could go to a hardware store and test out what what works for you. Yeah. But listen to Eric before you listen to me. Oh, well, whatever. Uh, and for leather, yeah, I work in front of two great big windows. So I use the natural light, too. Mm -hmm. Yep. Thanks, Jay. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I have three questions. Insert groan from listeners. <laughs> Number one, Jackson nuts are slotted perpendicularly, not an actual word, but I've come across many high E strings that slip out of their slots because of the slanted headstock design. Do you see a problem with re-slotting the nut in the direction of each tuner? Hmm. Uh, well, you'd have to start with a fresh nut blank. Uh-huh. You can't just re-slot it. There's already a slot there. Right. Um I don't know. I <clears throat> the the string has to turn somewhere. I'd rather it turned after the nut than uh in the middle of the nut. I or when the string hits the nut. I'd rather it I'd rather have the the slot straight. That's the way I look at it. If the s string jumps out of the slot because the headstock looks like a hockey stick, then that's just bad design. That's, <laughs> that's my opinion. There you go. Uh, number two, when I first started doing fret leveling, I tried to use radius blocks. I had seen someone else use them, and logically it made sense to me to follow the radius of the fretboard. However, I was not satisfied with the result and moved on to using a beam and never looked back. Do you have any thoughts why radius blocks might not work well for fret leveling? Hmm. I've never tried. I I use um, 
straight edges and yeah like you've got the beam i use the beams and the and the long files i've i don't use radius blocks radius blocks are for re-radiusing the wood in my right. mind i i've never used it for i've never used it for uh leveling frets so i don't really have any thoughts on that other than the fact that i'm i'm with you i don't think it really would work that well cool Number three, how do I clean tight bond off a previously glued break so I can re-glue it again? Thank you both. Did you set up a Patreon account yet? That's from Jay from Fort Wayne. (laughs) Thanks, Jay. Uh, Tight bond, the best method is sanding. Uh, There are solvents. You know, you can use a strong solvent to, to break it down, but sanding is the best way usually which gets really tricky if it's like a broken headstock with a lot of jagged wood or something. That's why it's important to not use tight bond on stuff like that. Hide glue, hot hide glue is the way to go, man. Really, tight bond can be a real problem cleaning that up if it's somewhere you don't want it. Did we set up a Patreon account? No, we have not, and I and I won't. Um, I'm not going to. I looked into Patreon a little bit, and I'm not a fan of their company, so I'm not going to do business with them. Really? How come? Uh, yeah. Uh, they arbitrarily kind of decide if you get your money or not. Oh. Apparently, from what I've read, there's a lot of people unhappy with them. Uh, so I would rather... Th- Here's what I did. We We made some stickers. If you really want to support the show, you can go to pinupcustomguitars.com and buy a pack of stickers for six dollars. If that's how you, if you want to support the show, do that. And also, now that we're talking about this, tomorrow we are screen printing T-shirts. Yeah, so we'll have shirts for sale soon. After yeah. five years of promising to do that, yeah. we're actually going to do it tomorrow. We yep. have all the stuff. We're going to do it. Yep. yep, it's true. Yep. So, yeah, thank you, and thanks for the support, Jay. Appreciate it. After almost 15 years of non-use due to raising kids, I pulled a late 70s D18 out of storage. Basically, in its original hard shell case, under a bed, cleaned it up, put on some new strings, and went back to relearning everything I had forgotten over the years. (laughs) My question is this. Is playability the key to whether or not I take it in for a setup and adjust, or is there a routine period of time that Hmm. dictates this? That's from Malcolm. Yeah, Malcolm. You know, at the very least, you should um, oil the fingerboard so that it's uh, so that you know that it's hydrated. You know, if <sighs> yeah, playability is is really the key. You know, as to whether or not it needs a setup. But if it's been fifteen years or more, um, it would not be a bad idea to get fully inspected. And all the little things that can go wrong on a guitar. Get get a professional's uh, eyeballs on it, you know. Get somebody to inspect the all the braces, you know, with a mirror. Get a mirror in there and look around. Um, the the frets could, if it's been that long, I'm sure the frets could stand to be polished. Uh, so there's a lot of things that could be done that in a setup that's more than just a playability issue, but right. uh. You know, you could, uh, if you just want to stick a mirror and a light in there and look around yourself, you could. But it would not be a bad idea to get that uh, to thy luthier to look at. There you go. 
Hi, Eric and Melissa and the Little Dawes. Thank mm-hmm. you guys so much. I'm hooked on your podcast. I drive long distances with work and listening makes the trips way less painful. Eric, I love the way you regard vintage guitars. I agree. A six-piece bridge on a 50s telly just doesn't look right, does That's it? That's right. I love them just how they were made. Sounds like you do too. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to my question. Well, actually, I'd just like to know your thoughts on what I plan to do. I was extremely lucky to find in Australia a beautiful, well-loved 1947 Gibson J45 for a price I could afford. All original except the tuners and bridge. I'm thinking of keeping the existing bridge, as it appears to be Brazilian rosewood, <clears throat> and having a thorough... Th- and having a through bone saddle with two pearl dots installed as it would have been originally. My main concern is the saddle route near the high E is already close to the edge of the bridge, and I'm worried with further routing for the longer bone through the saddle, this may bring the slot dangerously too close to the edge. The guitar is a dream to play, and here I am playing with fire. Am I playing with fire? Would the sensible thing be to leave things well alone? I'd love to know your thoughts. Before you go, I've got to say I've thoroughly enjoyed all your podcasts, but there's one thing I have to disagree with you on, and that is European strings. You're totally correct. They are way expensive, may not intonate as well as Diodarios, etc. Can I stand in defense for some strings that come from Vienna? Tut. Oh, no. Tomastic. Tomastic infilled plectrums. Eric, I do, I too, I love... Diodarios, and I have used them for many, many years on all my guitars, both acoustic and electric, but for some reason, the Plectrums and my old J45 are a match made in acoustic heaven. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> That's a joke. Their flat wound slash round wound mix sounds weird, work brilliantly with reduced finger squeak, plus their low tension is a real bonus for a 70-year-old guitar. Take care and best wishes from yet another loyal fret filer from Down Under. That's Andy from Deniliquin, Deniliquin, Australia. Deniliquin. Deniliquin. There you go. That's my guess. Thanks, Uh, Andy. Routing bridges. Go. He sent me a picture of the guitar in question, and uh, yeah, the saddle slot is really close to the edge. So if you were to continue that through all the way and make a through saddle, then you're going to have like a millimeter of of wood there by the high E. I wouldn't do it. I'd leave it alone. Um, that's curious to me that it, I wonder how well I wonder how that intonates. Was the original bridge that far off that they had to they had to put a saddle in there that was in a different place. What's a through saddle? What does that mean? So a, a, an acoustic bridge has ramps and then it goes up to a plateau. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, old school bridges have a saddle slot that continues all the way through that plateau, all the way to the ramps. And then you get like the saddle edges ramp up oh, as well okay does this make sense to you it makes sense to me but i'm watching your hands too. it's very hard to explain but our listeners who know about you know bridges and saddles probably already know but yeah he wants a through saddle like it would have had originally uh yeah i i'm looking at the picture and the way that the, the positioning of that saddle i don't think you're going to get away with a through saddle if you continue that slot through i think you're going to 
that's dangerously close to the edge, man. I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone if I'm you. There you go, Andy. On strings, hey, use what you like. Just because I don't like a certain flavor of ice cream, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, who cares? But uh, as for me, I won't use them. I don't like them. There you go. <laughs> That's me. Hi, guys. In the last podcast, Eric mentioned that his ideal guitar neck joint was a traditional dovetail with hide glue. Yeah, on acoustic guitars. Mm. Yes. I've heard various builders discuss hide glue, and I'd be interested to hear Eric's take as well. What, in your opinion, does a hide glue neck joint offer that a dovetail joint glued with tight bond, tight bond, or whatever the modern replacement for hide glue is, cannot? Is it just a matter of hide glue being easier to take apart for a neck reset, or is there something magical and tone-worthy about hide glue that I'm missing out on with my three-year-old non-hide glue Martin? Thanks for making such an entertaining podcast. You guys are the best. That's from Josh in Denver. Thanks, Josh. Maybe I haven't expounded upon this uh, fully in the past. I thought I had, uh, but here's the deal. Yes, it is. There is an advantage in that... Uh, uh, a hide glue joint um, is easier to work with if you have to do repairs because new and old hide glue work well together. New and old tight bond don't work well together. So if you have to do a tight bond neck reset, you have to clean up all the old glue and get it all off of there um, so that you have a wood-to-wood surface again. Uh, with hide glue, little bit of hide glue residue in there is no problem because new and old hide glue kind of melt together and make a good bond. But the most important part about this is that hide glue dries rock hard, crystalline, like glass hard, and it transmits the string vibration better. Tight bond, in my opinion, is kind of like having a really thin rubber gasket in there. And uh, it's it's like an it's like an insulator instead of a uh, I don't know what's the word. Um, but conductor. Yeah, conductor. It's like an insulator instead. Thank you. Oh, we were both. <laughs> How about that? Staring off into space, trying to think of that one. Wow, it's like we're both idiots. <laughs> it's been a day. So that's the deal. Uh, hide glue. Dries so rock hard, glass hard, that it string vibration passes through it better rather than absorbing it and, you know, eating up your sound. So, right. as far as it's especially true in neck joints and when you glue the bridge down, that's the really big one because there is so much going on uh, in your bridge joint that's like the most microphonic part of the guitar and if you put tight bond in between your bridge and your guitar it's like putting a rubber gasket in there that's just a tone killer i wish martin wouldn't do that but they use you know they use the modern space glue they use the aliphatic resin or whatever it's called i wish they'd go back to hide glue but i can understand it's harder to work with so uh you know i understand why they do it but for tone, you can't beat hide glue because it it transmits the vibrations better. That's my opinion. Cool. Hello, Eric and Melissa. First of all, great podcast. 
Hey, wait a minute. We need to take a break. Oh, good point. We'll be right back after this. Hi, Liz here from Emerald City Guitars, located in the heart of historic Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle, Washington. We are one of the world's premier vintage guitar shops going strong for over 22 years. Specializing in the most rare, the funkiest, and most collectible vintage and pre-owned electric guitars, acoustic guitars, amplifiers, and more. We cater to anyone and everyone from the guy next door to collectors and famous rock stars. Not only do we pay top dollar for used gear, we also offer trade-ins and consignment. We also have in-house repair and offer free appraisals. We have a variety of social media accounts that we post our goods daily. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at ECGuitars. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and see our daily episodes of the featured guitar pick of the day and reality of Emerald City Guitars shows. Give us a call to chat in person at 206-382-0231 and visit our online store at www.emeraldcityguitars.com. As you may already know, I make custom leather guitar straps. I hand make each strap from start to finish. I start with a hide of some of the finest vegetable tan leather on the market. Each hide is chosen for exceptional quality, color, and grain. If you haven't been to my website lately, you need to check it out. I've got a bunch of new strap designs and colors listed with more on the way. If you don't see the perfect strap, contact me with your custom order idea. Visit malcoleather.com to seek examples of custom orders I've done in the past. If you're a dealer, I offer competitive wholesale pricing. Email malcoleather at gmail.com for details. Find me on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, Etsy. If you're listening to this, you get 15% off when you enter code FRETFILES at checkout at melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. you're a fan of the show, it has become obvious to you that I repair and restore guitars. I'm not a hobbyist. This is something I do full-time for a living, and I've done it for almost 25 years. If you have a guitar repair that you need help with, consider sending it to me. I get repairs from all over the country. People send me guitars from far and wide, from Hawaii to Alaska to Florida, and I would love to help you with your guitar. I know a lot of people live in an area where they don't really have a tech or a repair guy that they can trust, or maybe it's a really complicated repair or a really special guitar to you that you don't want to just trust anybody. You can send it to me. I promise you'll be satisfied with the results. I rewind pickups, I restore vintage guitars, I do refrets, broken headstocks, neck resets, you name it, if it's broken on a guitar, I pretty much fix it. So. I'd love to help you out. You can go to my website to read more about me and to see a price chart. Go to ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. And if you need more information, you can contact me through that website by clicking the contact link and send me a message there and I'll get back to you. Um, So thank you for listening and now back to the show. Hello, Eric and Melissa. First of all, great podcast. 
I must admit, I'm not a big podcast listener, but I really enjoy yours. I listened to all your past episodes and learned quite a few tricks along the way. It's very cool that you take the time to share your knowledge with everyone. And since I repair and set up guitars for a living, it is very helpful. Good. Thanks. I work from my home shop in St. Alexis, Quebec, about 40 minutes northeast of Montreal. You can check out my website and some of the work I've done at lutherybedard.com. That must be his last name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Now to my question. Yeah, it's probably French and I just slaughtered it. Sorry, everybody. Uh, All right, now to my question. I know you're a big fan of the neck heat press, and I happen to have an old one that I have not yet developed my techniques to use. I have in my my shop an old and quite valuable, from what I could find in my research, Italian guitar, Meazzi Italy Jupiter. Hmm. How's that? You like that? Yeah. Uh, The neck is bent sideways. See the pictures attached. I assume you got them. I did. Have you ever encountered this kind of twist? If yes, have you managed to fix it? How did you go about it? If not, do you think it could be fixed? How would you try and bend it back into shape? As it is, the high E string would almost sit above the air in the middle of the neck if I strung it. Wow. Yeah. Thanks again for your time, Melissa and you, and thank you for sharing your knowledge. That's from Pierre Jan Biedard. Biedard. (laughs) <laughs> sorry sorry pierre i'm terrible yeah i think that you've got the right tool there in the in the he- in the neck heat press that's what i would use i've done this before i've seen it on some fenders where you get like a boomerang action where your neck is warped and not in the directions of the strings but side to side warp and that's bad news you don't want that no um here's how i would fix that Clamp one end of the neck, the heat, I'd clamp the heel to the heat press, and then basically strong arm that thing straight. You want the truss rod loose, uh, strong arm it straight, and then while you're really pulling on it, clamp it down to the the other end to the heat press, and then heat it up. If you can over correct it, I mean, literally bend it, you know, a little bit too far and heat it up that way, then uh, that's going to be the way to do it. Um, You'll probably have to do this in several steps. You know, oftentimes when something is warped very badly, I've I've had necks, I've had to press three or four times to get them to, to correct. So... Maybe if you're not quite up to speed on your on your heat press yet, maybe try it on a guitar that you don't care about. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's that's the right that's the right tool for it. That's absolutely what I would do. The uh, the heat and the pressure from bending it straight um, really will work. Uh, at least in the guitars that I've done it to. So give it a try, man. I, you know, good luck. Good luck to you. I hope it works. Thank you. Hi, Eric. I own a fairly new Rickenbacker 1626. 620. 620. 620 slash 6. 620 slash 6. 
that I absolutely love. You can't, you just can't get that chimey sound any other way. Mm -hmm. However, I am a Telecaster player by trade and I am constantly needing to handle lead duties in my band, The Ride. Shameless plug. That's a good band name. Yeah. I like it. Uh, I really want to be able to play leads on the Rick, but as you know, the way that those necks and fretboards are constructed, lacquer on the fretboard and over the frets, it's not really conducive to lead playing. That's right. The frets are really short and tiny, Mm -hmm. and the string spacing is a bit tighter, which is ideal for strumming sparkly chords, but if I want to bend anything or really take a ripping solo, it's tricky at best. That's why you never see anybody shred on a Rickenbacker. Wow. It just doesn't happen. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my question. Can you remove the lacquer on the fretboard, and will that by default make the frets feel taller so lead playing is easier? Or do I need to refret the guitar completely? I also have other questions about the ricks, like tips on dual truss rod adjustments and tips on adjusting their four-screw bridges, etc., etc. Really, I would just like you to do a whole episode on ricks because they're rad get fiddles. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your time and effort. Cheers, Bill in Nashua, New Hampshire. Thanks, Bill. They are. I I like them, too. I've done a few episodes uh, with former Rick employees, so you might want to go check those out if you have not listened to those. I did an interview with Dale Fortune and an interview with, uh, oh, his name escapes me at the moment. Uh, I think they were back-to-back episodes, though, uh, one right after the other. But those guys both worked at the Rickenbacker factory in the 70s, and we talked about Ricks a little bit on those episodes. Um, they are quirky guitars, and they are unique guitars, and like I said, you can't really shred on them. That's that's for sure. But uh, I wouldn't remove the lacquer. I, I'm not into that. I, I think that I, I like the way they look, and it just feels like, it feels like lacquered maple, you know? It feels like a fender maple neck. Uh-huh. If you just refret it with bigger frets, that's what I would do with it. If you really, if you want it to play more like a guitar that you can, you know, bend on and things like that, which is nice, uh, then that's what I would do. I would put bigger frets on it. And I've done that several times to, to Rickenbacker guitars that, you know, that can be done. So try that. Cool. Thanks, Bill. Hey, Eric and Melissa. Loving the show. Keep up the good work. First time builder here, builder here, seeking some insight into the world of finishing guitars. I know you prefer nitro lacquer and truth be told, so do I. But I figured using a wipe on poly for my first build would be an easier option. I'm having trouble trying to identify what options are available if using an oil based wipe on poly. Looking for recommendations on solid colors in aerosol form, if they exist, or wood dyes and stains that would work under oil-based poly. I'm not a painterologist, so I get a bit confused matching up what type of color finish works, color finish works with what clear coat. Lacquer, urethane, acrylic, stain, dye, water, oil. Man, so many options. Appreciate the help. Cheers, Joe from Sydney, Australia. Cool. Thanks, Joe. Uh, I'm in the same boat, dude. <clears throat> I don't know. I honestly don't know. The, I don't. I don't work with poly, so I don't know what's compatible with it. I won't refinish a poly guitar. I won't strip a poly guitar. I won't spray poly. I've never sprayed poly, 
So I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't use it. I I only use lacquer, and so I only know what's compatible with lacquer, and that's what I stick with. Um, so I don't really have a recommendation for you other than the fact that there's a good book about this, and I'm going to find it right now while I filibuster and say basically nothing at all, but I'm typing into Google. I think it's called Understanding Wood Finishes. Uh, I can't really type and talk at the same time. Yeah, it's amazing. I will fill Understanding Wood Finishing. seconds. Understanding Wood Finishing by Bob Flexner. Oh, that's an excellent name. Bob Flexner. It's three ninety nine on the internet. Three dollars and ninety nine cents. Just on the internet? Yes. The have internet you, sells have you books seen, now? Yes, have you seen the internet? Wow. Is that you can order books. Oh, there's it's oh it's thirty four dollars on Amazon. Don't Thri- order it from Amazon. Thriftbooks.com has a copy for three dollars and ninety nine cents. It's a good book, and I know that there's stuff in there about that. I haven't read it and absorbed it, obviously, because I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I don't use poly, so I don't know what's compatible with it. I only I only use lacquer, and I use Balin's lacquer, by the way, if you want to plug. Plug for Balin. Cool. Yeah. Dear Eric and Melissa, thank you for all the hours of quality and entertaining information. I am happy to say I've been listening to your podcast from almost the beginning, and I have to say, you don't give yourself enough credit. Those initial shows are awesome. Uh, thanks. They're not that good. The first <laughs> six or so. When yeah. did you When did you start? Episode doing... seven. Yeah, the first six are bad. Thanks. I just completed my first build. Thanks to your help. Oh, and wait I... a minute. You know, there's a few interviews that are really pretty good. I think the Jason Lawler interview is like episode two or three. It's really good. It, because of him, not me. Right. Anyhow, carry on. Thanks. Uh, I just completed my first build thanks to your help, and I am proud to say it didn't come not half bad. It didn't come out half bad. Good. Are you having a trouble, some I'm trouble having, reading? I just am exhausted. You're having a trouble I'm talking? I'm very sorry. I'm having trouble talking. My tongue feels like it's glued to the roof of my mouth. It's based on a Gibson E335, a Gibson 335 with a few PRS features I like. So far, so good, but I have a question regarding the Tunomatic bridge I am installing. I am wondering if you have used a Goto 510 bridge. I need to flip some saddles, but I cannot find how the heck to remove them. These don't have a retaining spring as many others do, so I'm wondering if you know how to go about removing these little suckers. Hopefully you've run into this before and have some words of advice. Thank you in advance and keep doing what you do. Cheers, Jose. Thanks, Jose. Yeah, I think that's the bridge that has two flatheads, two flathead adjustments, or, well, two screw adjustments, one on each side of the saddle. And one of those is a cap, basically. They look identical, but one is a screw and the other one is the bolt or the cap. So you have to use two screwdrivers and twist them. And one of them comes off. If that's the bridge I'm thinking of, let me look up a picture. Goto 510? Yeah, 510 bridge. Goto 510 bridge. All right, here we go. Goto 510. It's a two-pneumatic, right? Did he say that? I don't... Yes. Yes. 
Tunomatic bridge. Because uh, the Godo 510 that I've got here is a Strat tremolo. Oh, dear. We got problems now, folks. Uh, oh, here's one from Musician's Friend. That's a, that's a tone prose. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Goto 510. Do you mean to tell me that they have a whole bunch of different bridges called the 510? That's ridiculous. Oh, I wonder if it's this bridge. That thing looks like part of Darth Vader's mask. That can't be what he's using. Uh, I don't know what you're using. We don't know. But if it's the one that I'm thinking of, if there's two... So there's the screw passes through the saddle. And each end of the screw has has an adjustment, whether it's Phillips or flathead. Then what you're dealing with there is a screw and a nut, but they look identical. The nut looks just like the screw head. Um... If it's not that, then I don't know. If it's not that, then I don't know. Yeah. Well, sorry, Jose. Well, hopefully that's what it was. I don't know. Send me a picture, dude. Yeah. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Questions about humbuckers. I know they have north and south coils, and humbuckers are usually mounted with the screw pull pieces toward the bridge on the on the bridge pickup and toward the neck on the neck pickup. Mm-hmm. Are the screw poles the same north or south? Are the school, screw poles the same coil given the same manufacturer? Or what is the traditional orientation of the north and south coils in multiple pickups? What happens if you flip one around? I guess what I'm asking for is an overview of north and south coils and how to orient them in guitars, especially when replacing pickups. Thanks for the great podcast, Matt in Philadelphia. Thanks, Matt. Uh, yeah, so typically, you know, if, if, you're, if you've got two Gibson pickups or two Seymour Duncan pickups... Uh, they're going to be the same. Usually the usually the screw side is south and the slug side is north. Um, and as far as orienting them, it doesn't make any difference. You can... So if I understand your question right, you're asking me if, like, if you oriented them differently... Would they sound different? And the answer is no. As far as phase problems go, uh, they might. There might be a slight, tiny difference in tone just because of the way the pickup is made. But yeah, screws toward the bridge on the bridge pickup, screws toward the neck on the neck pickup. Um, if you like, if you had two humbuckers and you have a phase problem, they're out of phase in the middle and you took one of them out and flipped it around so that the screws were on the other side, you would still have a phase problem. It wouldn't sound any different. The only way to change whether or not... The only way to change which bobbin is which polarity would be to take out the magnet and flip it around and put it back in. So it doesn't matter how you orient it, really. That's just tradition that... And I think it's more about looks. It just looks nice and symmetrical. Uh, They liked the way it looked when they did that at Gibson with the screws on whatever side they were doing. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah, did I answer his question? I just feel like I'm not fully grasping. What, an overview of north and south coils and how to orient them in guitars. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about north and south. I would worry about where this, how you want it to look, where the screws go, because it, it doesn't matter which one's north and south as far as how it sounds. How it's wired and uh, will make a difference. So, I mean, if you have phase problems, then you, you can either correct that with flipping the magnet or uh, changing the wiring if you've got a four-conductor pickup. If it's a two-conductor pickup, you have to get in there and hardwire it there at the source. But this is getting technical. Unnecessarily technical. Thanks, Matt. I don't know. I went way <laughs> off into the weeds there, buddy. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Danny from Ireland here. Someone on Facebook recommended your podcast, and I've been hooked ever since. Oh, very good. I drive around the country training people to program and operate CNC machines. Cool. I spend a lot of time in the car, and for the first time in my life, I actually look forward to traffic jams. So thank you both <laughs> sincerely. That's nice. I've just about caught up with all the back episodes. Been saving up some questions for you, but for now, I have a suggestion for your former neighbor, the energetic Gretsch Duojet player. Oh, that would be Zach in, oh, in Seattle. Okay, Zach. I saw something like these on a CNC machine that I was installing for a customer. You have to pull the switch lever outward before you can throw it. It's on a spring, so it falls into a notch in each position. It is designed specifically to prevent accidentally throwing the wow. switch if you bump into it. Yeah. I'm a total wiring novice, but I think that what you need for a three-way pickup selector switch is a DPDT six-pin on, on, on. <laughs> Say yeah. that five times fast. Am I right? I don't know. I don't know if you're right. So to, to, to reference back, Zach was asking, he bumped his switch on his Gretsch a bunch, and he was asking if there was a way that he could lock it into place mm -hmm. easily. Yep. Uh, if you search online for locking lever toggle switch, you'll find thousands of results, but he should be able to filter it down a bit. I know he said he didn't want to rewire the guitar, but swapping out a three-way switch should be fairly simple. Thanks again for the hours of entertainment. I feel like I could refret my guitar now. <laughs> Danny. I think I'll refret a guitar right now. <laughs> Thanks, Danny. Yeah, I did. I was not aware of this part. I really appreciate you sending me this. He sent me a link to one on Amazon, and it is pretty cool. It's just a three-way toggle switch, but each position locks into... So you have to pull it out, you have move to it pull, to the next position, yes. and then drop back in? Yeah, you pull the switch up. And then move it to wherever you want, and then... Snap! In any one of the three positions, it locks into position. That That's, sounds like a total game changer for it's some... It's pretty slick. For some people. It would be, you know, if you want to switch your pickups fast, quickly. You know, I'm just used to going flip, and it's done. Right. But if you want it to lock, then that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. Uh, I think the DPDT, that, which stands for double pull, double throw... Uh, the six pin is a little bit overkill. I would get a single pole double throw. Uh, or is it sing double pole single throw? Yeah, I think single pole double throw, three pin on, on, on. That's what you would need, I think. <laughs> it's complicated. This, this seems like semantics at this point. Just I look understand. it up, Zach. Yeah. 
that's cool. That that is really cool. I think uh, he actually he emailed me a while back and he sold that guitar. Oh, really? Yeah, he decided. Why am I messing around with this thing? It has so many doodads on it. I don't even use. Yeah. Uh, he just likes he likes single pickup guitars with right. the volume and tone. And so, who can blame him? Yeah. How did he sell I it mean, with the condiment cup glued over the um, the toggle switch? Though I I really doubt that he. Uh, <laughs> That he did that. <laughs> that was somebody's bad idea. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in on your friendly podcaster, pod, podcatcher. Yeah, whatever. On your iPod, it is. on your flip phone. Thanks for listening on your flip phone. <laughs> we appreciate it. We'll see you next time and uh, keep those questions coming in. You can submit a question by going to ericdaw.com. That's E R I C D A W.com. Click the contact link. Submit your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call 757-774-8482. That number, once again, is 757-774-8482. Thank you. See you soon. Good night.